today, you know, it's, it's a week after Easter, right? I don't know about you. It's like after last week, you kind of come in today, you're just like, wow, it's just kind of okay, you know? It's just like it's how do you, how do you go past or, or outdo kind of what, what was last week and what we celebrated? But, you know, I've, I've said it often. I'll say it often just that, you know, really Resurrection uh, Sunday, if you will, or the resurrection of Jesus is, is something to be celebrated for all of us every single day. It's really, you know, what our, our faith is based on and, and what our, um, everything that we do is based on. And so today what we're going to do, though, is I, I want to look at uh, a scene, if you will, that took place literally the next Sunday after the resurrection. And we're going to, of course, do our due diligence and kind of lead up into that. And, and Tony gave you a little bit of a, Pastor Tony gave you a little bit of a teaser there of, you know, the doubting Thomas. Um, and so we're going to look at that today. But, um, you know, as we uh, approach that, I want to begin... Because I think it's, it's good for us and it applies and it kind of ties in even to the, the setting and, and some of the things that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, this past Friday, uh, my wife and I had the privilege of attending um, with the Rock of Israel Church there, Seder, like where they kind of how they close out the Passover and we were able to go through the whole process and, and how they kind of do that and have a meal together with them. And so it was really interesting. It's always intriguing um, because I feel like sometimes we lose sight of sort of, you know, the, Christianity isn't something different from, from the Jews. You know, it's a continuation. It's the fulfillment, if you will. And Jesus was the promised Messiah. And, you know, it, to, to make sure that we see and understand how that ties in, it's really quite fascinating. And so I'm going to share with you just a few things as we start off today about some of the Jewish holidays, right, that, that they celebrate. And there are seven major Jewish holidays, of course, seven Coincidentally, the number of, you know, complete wholeness or completion. Um, and so there's seven of those. We're not going to do all seven. I just want to kind of touch on the ones that maybe we're a little more familiar with um, and it kind of bring us up to the present, if you will. And first and foremost, most of you should be familiar with the, the term Passover, right? The Passover, is, as we are probably familiar with in this, and, and that deals with death, all right? And so in the Jewish side of things, the Jewish purpose is to remember the deliverance from Egyptian bondage. An unblemished firstborn male lamb was sacrificed and its blood poured on the altar. A lamb was selected for each family, and four days before the lamb was to be slain, it was brought into the home for a four-day examination period. All right, so it wasn't just a lamb brought in and say, hey, this is the one. There was actually a four-day examination period where they're looking, and it's, there's, a, there's a, a, a length of time there that's intriguingly important. And so if we kind of bring it now into the, where it has the messianic significance, the significance for us as believers who recognize Jesus as the promised sacrifice, it's this, that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who died for our sins. All right, at the exact time uh, the lamb was to be slain when, is when Jesus died that day. Jesus was slain and placed in the tomb. And here's the interesting part. Jesus also had a four-day examination period before the religious leaders, and guess what? He was found without blemish. So again, there's this, these very significant things that tie in. It's hard with a microphone. Coincidentally, <laughs> uh, you know, almost as if it were planned, Right? And so let's, let's go on, and I hope you're detecting my kind of sarcasm there, right? It was planned. God was in this, in all of this. Um, so you go from the Passover to the, 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 the festival of unleavened bread, and this has to do with the burial. And so the Jewish purpose for this time is that the leaven symbolizes sin, right? Throughout the scripture, leaven is what symbolizes sin. And unleavened bread speaks of sanctification. God told the Jews to cleanse all leaven from their homes 
and eat unleavened bread, which is matzah, for seven days, symbolizing a holy walk with him. Anybody ever had matzah here? Yeah. So we had that at the meal, um, you know, and Leanna went out and bought like a big package of it. I don't know if you've indulged on matzah. It's, it's like a saltine cracker, but, but just, yeah. <laughs> a saltine cracker would be a treat uh, compared to what matzah is. It's just this flat, crusty stuff and sticks everywhere in your mouth if you don't have something to drink. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of this, this idea, right? And, and because there's no leaven in it, it doesn't rise. And so it's just flat. And it was actually funny because at that the little thing we went to, we had a meal, and I ordered this chicken, wonderful chicken dish with uh, this gravy. And I'll tell you, it is hard to sop up some gravy with matzah because we didn't have, they wouldn't serve us rolls to keep in, you know, because they didn't want to serve the leavened bread yet. And so I'm like, just like grinding that matzah through, like, and getting another piece and trying, because it was really good, and I couldn't get it off my plate. So anyway, for those of you who appreciate the roll, little rub on your plate to get that, I was, I was in a bad place that night. Um, so that's, the Jewish purpose of the unleavened bread. Now let's look at it for us today. Here's the deal. Jesus is the bread of life without sin, right? Born in Bethlehem. And in Hebrew, listen, this is just amazing to me. In Hebrew, Bethlehem means, all you scholars don't say anything. Bethlehem, you know what it means? Now nobody's talking. You're all scholars, aren't you? So you just not. It means house of bread, right? That's what Bethlehem means. Go figure. So it means house of bread where Jesus was born. And just as the matzah is striped and pierced, so was the Messiah. And so this feast falls on, get this, Jesus' first day of being in the tomb. So it actually landed and coincided with that day. Two more I want to touch on. The day of first fruits, all right? This is the resurrection. And Jewish, for the Jewish purpose, the first of the barley harvest was brought as an offering to the priest in the temple or, or tabernacle. The priest would present the first of the harvest unto the Lord by waving them back and forth. And this reminded the Hebrews that God gave them the land and the harvest belonged to him. For us today, the significance, guess what? Jesus is the first fruits, isn't he? He's the first one to be raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection marked the beginning of the harvest of souls. John chapter 12, it shows that Jesus was likened to a grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying to produce a great harvest. It says the wheat falls, is in the ground, and then produces something. So Jesus' death and then ultimately his resurrection. Jesus arose from the dead on the day of first fruits. Wow, plan, right? Purpose, there's something all, there's order here. Finally, one thing that we're going to be celebrating here in about 50 days and that we're probably familiar with is, is Pentecost, right? It's also called the Feast of Weeks. And in the Jewish purpose, for the Jewish purpose, 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, two loaves of leavened bread are presented to God. Also a reminder that the Jews were slaves to Egypt from Deuteronomy chapter 16. The giving of the Torah to Moses on Sinai, Sinai took place this day. And listen to this. I want you to make note of this. 3,000 were killed that day. Okay, 3,000 people were killed that day. All right? For us today, again, Pentecost, Penta, 50 days after Jesus arose, a group of Messianic Jews received the Holy Spirit. Jesus had said prior to his death, unless I go, the Holy Spirit will not come. But when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit unto you. And God wrote the law, the Torah, 
on the hearts of the believers. Guess how many people were saved on that day when the Holy Spirit arrived? 3,000. This corresponds to the day of Pentecost in Acts. And so, again, throughout Scripture, we see just how God's plan over and over and over, it tied in. The, the, the death, the timing, how it happened, all those days and the timing were all significant, and they all lined up miraculously with the Jewish, all the Jewish festivals, all the Jewish, um, these, these holidays that they would mark. And in the significance of Jesus, how he fulfilled all these. And, and this is what's interesting even, and they were saying this even at the, the, the Seder that we were at, it's all there even for the Jews today. It's there. You know, Jesus, it's, it's laid out beautifully right in front of them. And, you know, and so we pray that through this time that people will come to know, especially, you know, the, some of the Jewish people, it's, it's right in front of them. They're reading. The, the, they just need to look a little closer and, and have their eyes open. So, um, you know, it is something to, to understand. And, you know, especially in our culture, you know, we want to see it, right? We want to see things for ourselves. In fact, there's a phrase out there called seeing is believing, <laughs> right? Seeing is believing. It doesn't matter, you know, if a friend of yours, even somebody that you trust tells you something that your mind can't quite grasp or put together. You're kind of like, well, I want to see it for myself. I want to see it for myself. And so, you know, today I want to begin our time with uh, just kind of, you know, seeing is believing, if you will, but sometimes even when we do see things, we may not necessarily believe it, or it may be a bit of a misunderstanding, as you're going to see. But for fun, I'm going to show you just a few photographs where, again, seeing might be, be believing initially, and then you're kind of like, wait a second, and then you kind of figure it out. So let's go to the first one, if we can. I'm not sure if you can see that, but there's a horse. I think there's something here... I don't, I'm not going to touch that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, in the background, though, it does look like there's a person standing there and they've got a horse's head, right? Now, initially, you're kind of like, wait a second. And as you study the picture a little closer, you probably can tell that a horse is kind of standing and they've turned their, the horse's head in front of the person's head. But it does look very intriguing initially. So, I mean, seeing is believing, you know, but here you go. Let's look at another one. Nice sports car, right? Look a little closer. I think this person's genius. That's, you know, I'm sure that's a very dependable, reliable vehicle. And they've taken the time to, to paint this nice sports car. And, you know, it's kind of a dull, grayish, ho-hum vehicle, if you will. And so, yeah, you know, roll with what you got, right? I'm sure that paint job was cheaper than actually buying that car. So, um, so there you go. You know, there's another one. What, let's go to another one. The man with a 10-foot arm. I don't know if you can see him in the background. It looks like he's way behind and he's got that creepy sort of touch on the shoulder, right? Like you see in the movies, you know. But then if you look closer, it's actually the girl next to her has got her hand and it lines up perfectly with his arm. So seeing isn't necessarily believing all the time. But And we got one more. <laughs> the baby with the longest legs. Uh, you know, again, you just you sit there for a minute, and then your brain kind of catches up to the moment and begins to process, like, okay, mom or dad's sitting there, and the baby's sitting there on their lap, and there you go. But it does catch you off guard a little bit. So, again, you know, we see this, these pictures, and it's, it's just a fun way to kind of look at, you know, how, how we perceive things or, or what we see. And, and, again, this idea of seeing is believing, you know, and, and even in these images, it took us a moment, and they're like, oh, no, I figured it out. You know, I got it now. But... 
here we have this guy, and again, you, you've heard the name already, but this, this, this disciple named Thomas. And, you know, what we're going to look at today, again, remember, it's just a week after the, the resurrection, and, and Thomas here, you know, it's, he comes onto the scene, and, and there is some doubt. And there was, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead, but he kind of missed a moment. And we even have a, a, a phrase, what do we call somebody when they don't believe something or they're always unsure of something? What do we call them? A doubting, right? Now, wouldn't you just love, as one of the 12 disciples with Jesus, to go down through all of history of all time on the earth, you know, you, not all the things you did right, you get the coin phrase, doubting Thomas. That is what your name is associated with. And so this guy gets this bad rap, if you will, because he makes a really profound statement. And so as we get in there, don't judge too harshly, right? Because I don't know how many of us here today, but I think more of us than not might have been in the same place Thomas was if we had been present there, right? So let's kind of go easy on them and let's kind of see what uh, the scripture has for us today. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 20. And as you're doing so, by the way, I, I just want to touch base too. You know, I encourage you, uh, you know, all the sermons are online. I don't know if you knew that. Anybody not know that? You can go to our website, you go to the sermons, you can watch the video, it's all there. You know, one of the, some of you may wonder why I don't have like, tons of stuff up on the screens, because I want you here while we're here, you know? Just absorb it. You're not going to miss anything, and if you do, you can always go back and listen to it or watch it again. And so just kind of be in this moment. I, I want you, and this is why I always encourage us, to put yourself in, in the shoes of these people, of these disciples, or whoever it is we're reading about. Put yourself in that scene, because we need to understand what they were feeling, what they were experiencing in that moment, and, and then, you know, kind of like what where would I have been at? Or what would I have done? You know? And so here today would be, is no different. So we come on the scene in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. And it says, on the evening of that day, so this is the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, again, this is what I want you to kind of put in your mind here. Listen to this statement. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, just... Um, for letting us see uh, people in Scripture, your disciples and others, Lord God, that, that really we can see ourselves in those same shoes, having those same questions and, and maybe even making those same statements. And God, we just pray today that you would just speak to our hearts through your word, that we would see ourselves and really just, um, <clears throat> again, just let, let your word speak to us today. And God, may you just uh, change us today and, and again, just uh, meet us in a very special and real way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, there's this statement here. 
that Thomas makes. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Again, two things kind of going on there. One, he wants to see, right? He wants to see it, but he wants to take it a step further, right? He wants to actually touch it, right? So see and feel it. And, um, you know, so there's, it's, it's very significant what his statement is. But, you know, as we look at this account, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things going on here and a lot of things I love to touch on. And, and here we see that, you know, that there is more proof of resurrection um, that, 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 that it's not being um, from this fictitious place. Okay, and what do I mean by that? It's, first off, where are the disciples, right? So before you answer that, where are the disciples, the ones that had walked with Jesus for three years, seen him do miracles, heard his teaching, acknowledged him as the Messiah, the Savior, those, those guys, and not to mention all the other ones, but these 12 especially, you know, where are they right now? You know, after Jesus had died, right, they, they said, well, we know in three days he's going to be good. We're, we're going to go out and share the good news, and we're going to actually camp out near the tomb so we're ready for when he comes from, out from the grave. You know, we're there with our piñatas and, you know, pom-poms, and we can have a big party. Is that what they were doing? No, thank you all four of you. They're paying attention. They're, they're, where are they? They're hiding. They're, they are hiding. They are in this fearful huddle, if you will, locked in this room, and they're afraid of who? Not just the Romans anymore, but they're actually afraid of their own people, the Jews. Why? You know, and again, it's, it's not necessarily like here in the text, but just think about it. You know, they had gone around with who they proclaimed to be the Messiah, and so now in this moment, they must be feeling that they had kind of got it wrong, right? Because if they'd gotten it right, they would probably be in a little different situation. There would not be fear happening. They would not be locked in a room together. They'd have been like, oh, yeah, this is all according to the plan. Any minute, Jesus is coming to show up on the scene, right? We should leave the door unlocked so he can come in. <laughs> but no, that's not what's happening. And so, again, with this idea of is the resurrection real, like, well, why are they in fear and, you know, so what we're you know, seeing here is that none of Jesus' own disciples anticipated the resurrection. Fair statement? Did these people see firsthand and touch and smell and whatever other kind of senses you want to get involved for three years with Jesus? And they're struggling with the resurrection at this point. And here they are in this room, and it seems, you know, that if they were making the resurrection up, why would they point in this account to their complete lack of understanding? Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, we were, we were terrified. We were afraid. We were huddled. If you're going to make up a story, you would be like, ah, yeah, we knew it. It was day three. We were just sitting there playing some cards or whatever, rolling, whatever, having fun, knowing Jesus was going to come at any moment. No, if you're, if you're making something up, that's what you would do. They were saying, like, we were afraid. We had no clue. We were terrified, and so we're in this room together. You know, if this was all a hoax, why not say, again, they were just holding out in anticipation of the resurrection and not hiding in fear? That would have made sense. Another point of observation is, again, why, you know, with the, the, the first witness of Jesus' resurrection was a woman. And in that setting, in that time, in that culture, again, a, a woman's testimony was not reliable, was not considered reliable by anybody. 
If you're going to build a lie, if you're going to build a, a farce, if you will, you would start with the basis of, you know, get a real respectable person that people will believe, right? But no, the first person that saw Jesus as resurrected was a woman. So again, not another, not a way you want to build a real strong fake story, if you will. But what it is, is it's a way to build an honest and true story, isn't it? A true account of what happened. And so let's look at Jesus now as he, he appears to his disciples. And once again, if you, if you were here last week and you remember as Jesus showed up on the road to Emmaus, he showed up with the two disciples as they're walking and he just revealed himself, right? Wrong, right? If you remember, he has a little fun. Jesus was, uh, he was Jesus. And so he just kind of pops up on the scene. He's walking with him, remember last week? And he's like, what's, what's wrong? Oh, you, know, you don't know this Messiah, this guy, Jesus? He's, well, who's, who's Jesus? You know, he's just asking these questions. You know, he's just walking along with them. Because it's funny to him, right? <laughs> but it's funny, but it's also, he loves these guys. And so he's going he's gonna to be faithful to walk them in, right? And he did that last week. Well, today it's no different. Could he have come and knocked on the door? I mean, that is scriptural after all, right? He stands at the door and knocks. I mean, wouldn't it have been a great moment? But what does Jesus do? Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you? He just pops up. Door's locked. He just shows up in the room. And twice he has to say this, this peace be with you. It's, it's a, it's the, the word is shalom there. Why does he have to say that? Why? Because the disciples are about to lose like their bowel control and they're scared right they're like what in the world how did you get in here there was this many before now we've got another person and so he has to kind of reassure them like hey it's okay imagine too they're not out doing what they're supposed to do they're not standing in faith if you will they're huddling in fear and now the one that you said you were going to stick with and you made all these promises to is standing in front of you as the risen messiah doing what he said he was going to do and you're all huddled, scared to death. So they're probably a little embarrassed, right? They're probably like, whoa, what is he going to do to us, right? And so, you know, again, put yourself in this situation. And so, you know, we see Jesus here. Again, he shows up in this room. He shows up to the disciples. And here we see, too, Jesus commissions them in this moment, in this room. In verses 21 and 22, it says, As the Father, this is Jesus speaking, has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So he, again, he commissions them here in this moment. And remember that this is the day of first fruits. Jesus has risen from the dead. The day of first fruits connected with the harvest. Jesus is the first fruits. But also here, he is sending the disciples into what he calls the fields too, right? The fields, to go into the fields. Matthew chapter 9, verses 37, 38, it says, Then he said to the disciples, this was before, Jesus had said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord that the, that the Lord of the harvest, to, for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so again, we have all this connection here with a harvest, and Jesus commissions them. And then it says he breathed on them. Now, I, again, don't know about you. If you've ever tried this before, you know, walk up to somebody and just give a long breath right kind of in their face. Just, in fact, turn to the person next. No, I'm just kidding. If you, 
But that experience is gonna be very different, right? Depending on if you had a chili dog with extra onions and everything else, versus if you just brushed your teeth, right? This, this breathing on them. And so we can just read this, and if we don't stop here, right? You guys are with me, right? I'm not just by myself. If we don't stop, I mean, oh yeah, he breathed on them, right? It's just, he breathed on them, that's normal. It's not normal. <laughs> it's not normal to, to, to breathe on somebody. So what is going on here? What is happening when it says that he, he breathed on them? Well, guess what? This word that is used here, this phrase here, it has the exact same meaning as when you go back to Genesis when Adam was created and it says that God breathed life into Adam. That there was something very significant. It wasn't just a, you know, kind of moment with a, an hour thing. He breathed on them. He breathed life. There was something that transpired here in this moment. And it says that they received the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're kind of putting two things together, and maybe if you're, again, have been around for a minute in the church, you're thinking like, well, I thought the day of Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit came. And if that's a little confusing, you're in good company because actually scholars are even kind of divided on what this is trying to say and what this means. But what it seems is going on is that it's referring to maybe a two-stage process. And let me explain what I mean here. If you recall back when Jesus was about to begin his earthly ministry, right, and he was uh, baptized and came up, and it says, what, God the Father spoke from heaven, Spirit descended, Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and he said, this is my son in whom I'm well, I'm well pleased, right? So the Holy Spirit arrived in that moment with Jesus, was on him. And then we pick up from there where he goes into the wilderness, Right? Remember that? He goes into the wilderness, and it's in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. All right? Pretty significant thing happening. So this Holy Spirit's there. But then the interesting part, if you skip down to verse 14, it says this. And Jesus returned, what? In the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So we saw Jesus be led to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, but then something seeming significant happened where he now came in power, what, to begin his earthly ministry, to begin what he had been commissioned by his heavenly Father to do, right? And so we see this power, and this word power is from the Greek word dynamis, which is where we get our word, what does it sound like? Dynamite. Now, I don't know your experience with dynamite. You all look like you still have your hands for most of you. Um, you know, there's, there's power in dynamite, right? I was privy growing up. I maybe shouldn't say that. I think it's, there's like a length of time where they can't do anything anymore, right, to you legally? Just kidding. Uh, but, you know, I, I lived close to some farms. My buddy had access. It wasn't whole sticks, but they were good size, like, you know, half sticks or quarter sticks of dynamite or whatever. And so we would just go do things that kids do. I should not be saying any of this. I hope my <laughs> kids aren't watching. Or, um, but we would do that. And anyway, I have to tell you, because you know, I, I had firecrackers and all the things you could buy over the counter and stuff like that. And then when we went out and we just kind of, you know, we thought we were far enough away. We were a good distance. And we put it under something like a pallet or something like that. When that thing went off, and this is just a tiny little bit of dynamite, you know, it, it was earth-shattering for us. <laughs> um, nothing was left of the pallet we had put it under. We felt it, you know, even though we'd gotten a good ways away. 
and it was very powerful. And so this, you know, that idea, just imagine what whole sticks of dynamite can do. And this is the same word, this is the same root word, and again, this power, there's power in the spirit, and when this power is on Jesus, there's something significant. And it seems, again, in this moment when Jesus now breathes on the disciples, what's happening is I believe he's empowering them to carry out what he is telling them, what he is commissioning them to do. And I share this oftentimes, you know, with people. I'm like, you know, they're like, well, my life, my walk with God is just kind of dry. It doesn't, you know, well, like, I'm like, well, what, what, is he, what has he asked you to do? What has he told you to do? What has he commissioned you to do? And are you doing it? Well, no. I, I come to church once a week, and that's about it, you know. I, it's like, well, again, when you experience the, the, the times in my life when I've experienced God kind of the most powerfully, the most, you know, where it's been the most impactful, is when I'm doing what He's called me to do. And sometimes, especially in those moments where it's really hard and it's really challenging, I don't know, maybe you've been in these situations like, you know, somebody says, How did you do that? Or how did you say that? How did you stand up to that person when they were, you know, maybe, you know, criticizing your faith or something like that? And, you know, you said this and this and, and you don't remember or you didn't, it's like, it wasn't me. Because the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit can come on you, and it's used to accomplish a mission, to accomplish a task, to be obedient to what God's called you to be. And this is that same picture in the Old Testament. Whenever you see the hand of God was resting on somebody, it wasn't so they could kick back on the balcony with their feet up and drinking a, a fun fruity drink or something. It was because they were doing something, and oftentimes something that was almost impossible in their own strength. They had to move out, and it was only by the power of God to accomplish that. Why? Because then when people see it, what does it do? It points it right back to God, who's the giver of that authority, who's the giver of that power, where it's not them. Because everybody around them knows you could never have done this by yourself. You could never have said that. You could never have stood up to that person, or you could never have accomplished what you did in your own strength. And that's how God plans it. And so, again, I believe here what, it, what is happening is, 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 again, they receive this power, if you will. And there is, you know, when the Holy Spirit fully comes on Pentecost, that's a, a different thing. But, but here, Jesus is empowering them. Why? Because he's commissioning them. He knows in those next 50 days that things have to happen. And they're only going to happen by these gentlemen through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he breathes on them and empowers them. And so now into the scene, let's, let's move ahead. And here comes our star of the show today, Thomas, right? Good old Thomas. And I don't know if you're like me, you know, I stop oftentimes when I read things like this and I'm like, where was Thomas? Was he out, you know, getting pizza or matzah or something? I, I mean, what, what was he doing? Why was he not with the disciples huddled in fear? Unfortunately, Scripture doesn't really unpack that for us, but I just wonder what was he doing? Was he going to check on a family member? Was he, but he wasn't with them, and you would think in that situation, in that moment, he sh probably would have been there. He should have been there, but for some reason, he's not, okay? And so, you know, he, he comes back, and again, put yourself in his shoes. You walk back in, hey, guys, I got the pizzas. Um, I'm here, and, you know, I got the secret knock to get in the door, and they're like, dude, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> Jesus just was here. You just missed him. And he, he didn't even use the door. He just popped up in the room here. And we, we saw him. We saw the wounds. But he's alive. He's resurrected. 
you know, as Thomas just kind of just drops the pizzas on the ground, right? Like, what? I missed it. You want to talk about missing something, wouldn't you feel like left out at this moment? Like, doesn't Jesus like know like my schedule? Wouldn't he, couldn't he have timed it a little bit, a few minutes later when I got back? But he didn't. And I think it's for us today that Jesus used Thomas and he coined this wonderful name, Doubting Thomas, for the rest of eternity, you know, just for us. Because I think there's some of us here that fall into that. But Thomas, again, he comes back and he has this feeling of left out. I am the youngest of four boys. I spent most of my childhood in the position of being left out, okay? I don't know about you or how it was for you. My brothers were always older than me. I always thought I could catch up at some point, you know, and I never, I've never been able to. But they were always older, and so they were always able to, you know, do this thing first. They, you know, were able to drive first, or we go to the amusement park, and we're all hanging out. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm hanging out with all my brothers. And then you get to that ride, and the little, little cutouts like this, and, you know, your head's like, you know, like, ooh, and you're on your tippy toes trying to, I'm sorry, you can't get on, but all the other, the other kids can go. You know, I get to watch all my brothers go have fun, and I'm on the little teacup ride or something like that, hanging out with mom. Um, but that's, you know, that's, it, it's being left out, right? All I wanted to do was to be with them, to be able to go and do things, to be able to stay out late, and I was always behind. And so I, I can relate to Thomas. Maybe some of you can. But Thomas is left out. And probably one of the greatest things he could have ever experienced. And so, you know, I think... Before he makes this statement, you know, it put him in that thing, in that, in that, put yourself there and what, what he was feeling. And I think he was upset, right? I think his feelings were probably hurt too. Like, Jesus, I mean, he can walk through a wall. He can't, he does, he can't stick around until I get back or, you know what I mean? He's upset. He's hurt. He's angry. And so he makes this bold statement, unless I see in his hands the marks, the mark of the nails and place my finger into it. And place my hand in his side where the spear went in. I will never, never believe. Because he's mad. And he's hurt. And I really feel that he's not much different than most of us here today. In this moment. God, if you'd only show yourself to me. God, where are you in this situation, in this, this season where I'm going through and I'm struggling and you feel so far away? God, give me a sign. I need to see for myself. Any of us could have said those statements. Any of us could have been Thomas in this setting. And then something happens. Right? So we're going to Continue, we're going to jump back in in chapter 20 and pick up with the next verse. So it says, eight days later in verse 26, and again, and, and there, when, when they would count things, or they, they always counted the day they were on. So it's, it's the next week, it's the next Sunday. It's just like today for us, a week following the resurrection, he had to wait. Eight days later, <clears throat> his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, again, makes his entrance, and said, peace be with you. And then it doesn't take him long, does it? Then he looks at Thomas and he says to him, put your finger here and see my hands and, and put out your hand and place it in my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So it's a similar scene, but there's a couple little differences here going on. The doors are locked again, but this time there's no mention of fear. <laughs> right? They were just there, and just like you lock your door at night, I don't know that you do that out of fear necessarily. It's just good practice, I guess, right? So the doors are locked, and Jesus here once again approaches, and he says, peace be with you, but this time he only says it once. And again, you know, this peace be with you, it's, it's more than just a, hey, how are you? It's this, it's shalom. That's what it's saying. It's, it's got a depth to it, meaning, you know, when, when the disciples first saw him, they were terrified. And, you know, he had to reassure them, like, hey, calm down. You know, peace, I think the initial peace was probably hey, you're scared because this guy's in the room. I'm in the room and I didn't use the door. Secondly, you're in fear. And so he's just reassuring them peace. And so here he shows up and he once again says this, this shalom to them, this peace be with you. And it's, again, there's a depth there and it just, it settles the room. And I want you to remember Thomas' statement now of, of placing his finger in the nail wounds and his hand into Jesus' side. And look at what happens when Jesus enters the room. Thomas doesn't ask for that, does he? Jesus shows up because he knows. And I don't, I don't want to go too far. I don't like to. But I wonder if Jesus came that day just for Thomas. You know, just showed up. He's like, hey, guys, I'm back. I want to talk to this guy right here. And, and, and as he, he, again, he walks in the door. He looks at Thomas Thomas doesn't ask the question. Why? Because he's probably terrified <laughs> once again, like, oh, no, and all the guys were right, and I didn't listen to them, and here's Jesus now. And he doesn't ask the question, but yet here's Jesus. Again, he shows up, looks at Thomas, and says, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He offers it to Thomas, doesn't he? Without even asking. And that could be a whole other sermon of itself, right? I mean, Jesus knows what's going on with us before we ever ask anything. He sees us and he loves us and he cares for us and he wants to meet us in that point of, of, of uncertainty or when we're in struggle or when we're in trial or when we're in this a difficult season. Jesus sees you. For some of you here in this room and some of you watching online today, you need to hear those words that Jesus sees you today. He sees you in the moment. He sees you in the struggle and he, he, he understands your pain, and he's going to show up. He's showing up for you. And so he offers this to Thomas. He says, here you go. And this was something I had never caught before. Does Thomas then, when offered, does he reach out like he said, and does he put his finger in his hand, or does he put his hand in his side? Doesn't say he does. I, I always assumed he did. <laughs> but here, and maybe he did, maybe they, but I think if he made a significant statement, and, and John, when he wrote this gospel, if he made that statement and made sure that I, what, what Thomas said, unless I see his hands and mark the nails and place my finger into the, I think he would have followed up and said, and Thomas reached out 
and did it. But he doesn't do it here, does he? <laughs> he doesn't do it. Instead, Thomas simply answers him, my Lord and my God. Because now his eyes see. He doesn't need to do what he, he sees Jesus in front of him and he's like, my Lord and my God. Remember, these, these guys walked with Jesus for three years. They loved Jesus. They did not know, you know, they didn't understand that he was going to die, you know, on a cross, even though he tried to explain it to them. They loved him. Imagine if you've lost a loved one and suddenly they were present again with you. How would you feel? You would be just, you'd be flooded with emotion and with love and like, oh my gosh, he's, he or she's here. And he recognizes Jesus. He's like, I don't need to do, I don't need to touch anything. You're here. Everything's going to be Okay. And he says these, these two titles, my Lord and God, and, and you know, these, these are significant. He says, my Lord, which my Lord means that you have dominion over my life here on earth. I will trust you. I will follow you. I will stand for what is right, and I will depend on you. My Lord, I surrender. And he says, my God, my God refers to, again, this, the eternity of, of who God is and to his supreme power and authority, especially when it comes, again, to, to the length of span of eternity and all that he holds in the palm of his hand. He is God. And this is why we, oftentimes when we talk about accepting Christ, both as Lord and Savior, and again, we so desperately want to be saved, but we struggle so much making him Lord of our life to surrender ourselves, to surrender our will and desires. And here in this moment, again, Thomas recognizes and knows full well who is standing in front of him, his Savior, his Lord, his God. So in this moment, Jesus demonstrates a depth of love here for Thomas. How? By meeting him where he is. He meets him in this moment. And again, we don't know for sure, but you know, maybe he did come back just for Thomas, just to say, Thomas, I get it. And aren't you thankful that that's the same Jesus that we serve today? When we're on our 72nd time of trying to get it right. And he's like, I love you. I'm here. Here's the proof. If, if you want to, you can, you, can, you can step into this. But so many times, if we just open our eyes and see Jesus there with us, how that changes everything. As we prepare to wrap up today and kind of wind this down, you know, again, the death and resurrection of Jesus is still central to everything that we are as Christians, as believers. Everything that we do centers around that event. Because without that event, Kind of this is all a waste of time, pretty much, right? Jesus died for us, for our sins, and he, he was resurrected from the dead. And it truly has brought us shalom. That, that phrase, that's Jesus, what he's saying us today. Do you want to be at peace today? Do you want to be at peace today? Today we can experience peace in our, in our conscience through his death, you know, because that's where he paid the price for our sin. That's where, again, it was all covered. It was all paid for, everything. The cross that should have been ours, he stepped 
forward as the perfect spotless lamb and lay down his life. So we don't have to be, you know, dwell in those things that we were once slaves to, the sin and where we were going. But it also, through the resurrection, brings us the peace of mind, doesn't it? That there's a hope. There's a future for us. Loved ones that have gone before us, one day we'll be reunited again. Even for ourselves, every, every one of us is going to have to cross death's threshold at some point. And while it may, it's not something we, you know, wait for with anticipation, but we can wait for it with hope that it's not the end. That in that moment we close our eyes and breathe our last. In a moment we, we come to life and we're looking face to face with our Savior, Jesus Christ. significance here is beyond what we can understand. Before we close today, we need to look at Jesus' final statement in this passage. And Jesus' response to Thomas, again, and all this stuff has taken place, all this, 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 this doubt and this statements, everything had happened and it's kind of been resolved in this moment. And Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? And Thomas's answer would have been yes, <laughs> right? Because he's standing in front of him. And notice what Jesus says, the last thing. Blessed. Sound familiar? Makarios. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Everything on the, of our, it's called the Christian what? The Christian faith. There is an element that we have to step forward. We have to, you know, we have to step out in faith. We receive salvation by faith. It's, that is the first step of it all, right? We have to step into that. We have to step out in faith. We, we again, and, and if we do that, because Jesus is not physically walking through this room, and I don't think anybody in here has seen the physical Jesus stand before you, yet so many of us in this room have said yes to, to him. Why? Because we know. The eyes of our understanding, the eyes of our spirit opened up, you know, and we can see all of these signs. There's plenty there, there's little, little dispute that there was a man named Jesus who came to the earth, and, and, and little dispute really that somebody named Jesus died on a cross. It's the Lord and Savior and the resurrection part that people kind of get hung up on. But again, if you, just, if you allow God to open the eyes of your understanding and you take that small step of faith, he just comes rushing in and meets you, right? Much like Thomas didn't need to reach out and actually physically touch because once he saw Jesus, he knew that's true. <laughs> I don't need anything else. And Jesus acknowledges that, you know, and he stands there in front of Thomas and he says, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know who that is? It's you and it's me. We've accepted him. We've stepped out in faith. And so we can be blessed. We are a blessed people today. You are blessed today. No matter what's your situation right now, you are blessed for no other reason you have made peace with your creator, God, right? That relationship is made whole and made new through Christ Jesus, and you have relationship again. And no matter what your situation, you can also have that peace of God that passes all understanding no matter what you're facing because God is with you, and you can experience shalom today. <clears throat> As we prepare to, to close in prayer, 
Jesus is still doing amazing things here on this earth. And something I want to encourage you, because I think for most of us here, it's, it's maybe off our radar, radar a little bit. I, I believe I mentioned at the beginning of Ramadan, the Muslim holy month, we're in that right now. And what's amazing is that there are, are many Muslims around the world that are they're seeking for, for God to show them something, for a, a vision or a sign or something. And, you know, here's the deal. And again, if you don't understand... You know, there are some that are just going through the motions that don't, they don't they don't care you know it's again it's a false god but i want to say this there are some that are genuinely seeking god and they may be confused on where that's at or how that works but they're genuinely seeking god and, and it's during this holy month that many of those stories where you hear about muslims seeing visions of jesus and, and things happening it's during usually this month that it happens because there's a genuineness. And isn't God big enough that if someone is genuinely seeking him and looking for him, and even if it's in the wrong spot, even if they missed it when he showed up the first time, it, you know, if they're seeking him and wanna see him, isn't God loving enough and great enough and big enough to come onto the scene and say, here I am. Amen. He is. And so what I wanna ch challenge us today and what I wanna encourage you, and please, 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 please make a note of this. I know I said you didn't have to do anything before, but make a note of this. On this month, on the 28th and 29th, depending on which part of the world you're in, that is the most holiest day for a Muslim throughout the whole year, all right? And on those two days, I would just ask you to pray. Whether you know somebody, maybe you work with somebody, maybe there's somebody in your family, or, or maybe you don't know anybody, but just pray for Muslims everywhere. Pray for those people that are on the front line. Pray for those people that are engaging them because they're so open during this time, because they know that, they, they, they believe that God will speak to them, that God will show them something, and, and we want that. Isn't that, shouldn't we desire that? And so what I wanna say, you know, why, if you have a question like me, because I did, I questioned this for a while, God, how come you show up, <laughs> and these people, I've, I've never had a vision of Jesus, I'm, it's just me. I've never had that. I believe in him, I've stepped out in faith, I know he's real, there's no question for me, but I've never had that. And I'm like, God, why do you show up for these people here? Why, why do they get visions? I mean, if you gave me that, I would go. Do you have any idea if a Muslim says yes to Jesus, what they step into and what, what their life becomes? They, at best, they will be exiled from their family. They can lose all of their possessions, the, 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 anything that's good. They can lose their jobs. Ultimately, they can lose their life. Families actually have funerals for those members of their family if they, if they leave Islam and come to Christ. Their family will have a funeral because that person, that family member is dead to them now. And in some extreme cases, they will actually put something, uh, basically a bounty on their head. I've spoken to some prominent speakers here in America, and, and a few of them, they've got numerous bounties on their head in different countries for, for somebody to kill them. So, I can extend some grace <laughs> and understanding because the reality is, is we don't face that persecution. At most, we're going to be mocked. We may be exiled a little bit from our family, but there are people in the world that it, they need that. These disciples needed to see Jesus. Why? Because all with the exception of one of them was going to end up being martyred for their faith. 
right? So just want to encourage you that, that these next few days, the rest of this week, especially the 28th and 29th, pray for, for Muslims everywhere. That they would come to know, because many of them are searching. They really are. Pray for those influential leaders, right, to come to Christ. I know imams that have come to Christ, and oh man, <laughs> things start to happen then. So imam, sorry. Imam is like the, the pastor or the holy leader of that, that group, if you don't know what that is. So. Deal? We're going to pray. We're going to pray this week, and we're going to pray now. Father God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for, Lord, your word. I thank you, God, just how it just all comes together just so amazingly. And just, God, again, you've laid it out that way. You've intended it for that. And you, you've designed it to be that way. And God, we do pray today. God, I pray for every person in this place. I pray for those watching online. Anybody who does not know you, who has not made that step of faith, again, may they be encouraged today through this account of doubting Thomas, of the questions maybe they have, Lord. Again, you care for them, you love them. And God, you're willing, Lord, to just walk that walk and walk that road with them. God, may they come to the place where they can truly just make that one small step, that step of faith. God, that they would accept you as Lord and Savior of their life. God, we do lift up our, our Muslim friends and neighbors, Lord, today. God, that, that as they are seeking you, they, they may not know it, but they are seeking the one true God. And, and Lord, maybe they've, they've gone down the wrong road, but God, we know that you're great, great enough, that you're big enough. God, we do pray. We pray for dreams and visions, Lord, for these, these people to come to know you. God, they need you. They desire you. God, help them, Lord, to see in a very real and powerful way. Reveal yourself to them, Lord, according to your will and your purpose. God, I thank you. I thank you that you are alive, that you are active. God, that we have the resurrection, Lord, to celebrate and, and again to walk, Lord, our faith, our faith today. God, because there is hope for us. There is hope for tomorrow, regardless of what we see with our eyes, Lord, with, with the eyes of our, our, our spiritual understanding and our heart, Lord God. Let us see what you see as, as you see it, Lord. God, there is always hope. And God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that you have spoken to us today through your word. God, let us not be found like those disciples, huddled and afraid, God, but we pray, Lord, that you would truly breathe on us, that you, your spirit would empower us today as we, we step out and we engage, Lord, the world around us to carry the good news of the gospel. God, you are Lord and you are risen. And God, we thank you, Lord, that we can worship you today with full hearts, Lord, and open eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.